as we prepare our hearts for the proclamation of the word, the scripture lesson for this morning is found in the Gospel of John, the second chapter, the 13th through the 25th verse. It reads thus, the Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle, and he also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you're gonna raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone. For he himself knew what was in everyone. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Paul. Remembering the protocol. <laughs> Thank you. Hear these words from Mary Oliver. Her poem, Where Does the Temple Begin? Where Does It End? There are things you can't reach, but you can reach out to them, and all day long. The wind, the bird flying away, the idea of God. And it can keep you as busy as anything else and happier. The snake slides away. The fish jumps like the little lily out of the water and back in. The goldfinches sing from the unreachable top of that tree. I look. Morning tonight, I am never done with looking. Looking, I mean not just standing around, but standing around as though with your arms open. And thinking, maybe something will come. Some shining coil of wind or a few leaves from any old tree. They are all in this too. And now I will tell you the truth. Everything in the world comes at least closer and cordially, like the nibbling tinsel-eyed fish, the unlooping snake, like goldfinches 
little dolls of gold fluttering around the corner of the sky of God, the blue air. Will you pray with me? Holy God, send your spirit upon us, that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. Oh, it's good to see y'all. Just feeling struck by looking at you this morning. When were you first aware of God? Not when you were first told about God or heard a lesson about God. When were you first really and personally aware of God's presence in your life? If you can't think of it right now, I just encourage you to think about that this week. One of my earliest memories as a little girl was laying on my bed with my legs up on the wall and then walking my feet up and down the wall like a squirrely little girl, talking to Jesus. I had been told all my life that Jesus was my friend, so I talked to Jesus or God whenever I was lonely, and I grew up out in the country. My only companion was really my sister, so I often needed you know, a friend of another sort. Or I would talk to God or Jesus when I was troubled about something or trying to figure out something. Jacob Needleman, an author, professor, and philosopher, describes his first encounter with the holy in an interview in The Sun magazine. When he was eight years old, he and his father were looking up one night at the starry sky. Needleman said, I was stunned by what I saw. There were a million stars. The whole sky was filled. And my father simply said, that is God. You don't need a church building to look up at the sky. You don't need a church building to sit on your bed and talk to God. It's the cathedral of the sky, or the sanctuary of the trees, or the sermon of the rushing water, or the comfort of one's own room that can offer those insights. Or the openness of a lonely or curious heart reaching out, as Mary Oliver says, to the wind the bird flying away, the idea of God. And I cannot tell you how many times as a pastor that I've met people, especially here in Colorado people, and in talking with them, when they figure out that I am a pastor, they say, oh, I don't go to church. I find God in nature. And they are not wrong to seek God there. It was Origen, the ancient Christian scholar, that said, Nature is the primal scripture. 
So if this is true, if all of this is true, and I believe that it's true, that we can find God out there, why does Jesus care so much about the literal temple in Jerusalem? Why does Jesus care so deeply enough about that building, about that place, to make a big old scene about it? First, let's remember a little bit about the ancient Israelites and what they believed about the temple and what they believed about God. In their theology, generation after generation of theology, they placed God there. That was the resting place in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. That was God's room, God's home. That was where God resided. It was also the place then, if God was there, that everybody had to go to. At certain times, in certain holy days, for certain rituals or rites, all of the people all over the world, the, Jew the Jewish people, would travel to the temple. And often, as they traveled to the temple, they needed sacrificial animals to participate in particular religious practices. But think about traveling for days and days and maybe weeks. You probably wouldn't be bringing your own cow or dove or sheep. And if you did, then you risked the opportunity for them to be hurt or for you to run out of food. So since they came from so far away, the people that were coming to the temple often relied on the selling of the sacrificial animals in the temple. Additionally, if they came from far away, they needed to have their foreign currency exchanged so that they could buy what they needed. Last year during Lent, some of us did um, a Lenten study on a book called Entering the Passion, where author and New Testament and Jewish studies scholar Dr. Amy Jill Levine writes about how these were needed practices in the outer courts of the temple. There needed to be the selling of animals. There needed to be the exchanging of currency. And in her book, she writes, one bought one's offerings from the vendors. Despite Hollywood's and sermon after sermon, there is no indication that the vendors were overcharging or exploiting the population. The people would not have allowed that to happen. Therefore, Jesus is not engaging in a protest of cheating the poor when he gets so mad and turns the tables. So what is Jesus so worked up about here in the temple? Yelling at people, throwing money around. Again, Dr. Amy Jill Levine writes, in John's version of the temple incident, Jesus anticipates the time where there will no longer be a need for vendors. For every house, not only in Jerusalem, but in all of Judea, shall be like the temple itself. The sacred nature of the temple will spread through all the people. The message is a profound one. Can our homes be sanctified as filled with worship 
as the local church? Do we do our best on a Sunday from 11 a.m. to noon or 9.30 to 10.30, but just engage in business as usual during the work week? Do we pray only at church? Or is prayer part of our daily practice? Do we celebrate the gifts of God only when it is time to do so in the worship service? Or do we celebrate these gifts morning to night? Is the church just a building? Or is the church the community who gathers in Jesus' name, who acts as Jesus taught, who lives the good news? I think perhaps Jesus is making a statement in the temple. Maybe it isn't that he's overcome with anger or with emotion, but he has a very specific message to share about how and when you encounter God. Because if it's only inside the walls of the temple, then you've missed the point. This message that he's trying to relay is a radical theological shift for the Jewish people to consider that they may not need so many barriers to get to God. I think it's about letting God into every room of our lives. Every moment, just, not just a moment that we choose, and don't get me wrong, I do not think that God would have one bad thing to say about our worship here at Wash Park. This is a beautiful hour that we share together every week. We are genuine. We share our lives with each other. We honor God with our gathering, with our singing, with our praying. We're focused. We're here for God and our community. But what about when we leave? How have we been transformed by God? Not by the music or the sermon or gathering together with our friends, but really, really changed by God's presence in our hearts so that we take Jesus out into every aspect of our lives. From Sunday morning at 1030 all the way through. I don't know about you, but I feel a slight discomfort when I think about that question. And I ask you to just sit in your own discomfort, too. Because there are always places that could use a little bit more light. There are always things that we think that could use a little bit more transformation. There's always a place in our hearts that we could use God a little bit more. So this last week, I spent the week in the exotic locale of Cheyenne, Wyoming. <laughs> Many of you know that I am on the Mountain Sky Conference Board of Ordained Ministry. I'm the chair of the board. And among other things, we are the entity that credentials 
our Methodist clergy in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, Montana. It's a huge job. It was very good to be together because over the pandemic, obviously, we've been meeting only virtually. So for the last two years, we've only known each other as faces on a screen. I was recalling our March meeting. We always have these March meetings and interviews. Um, last year was only over Zoom. And even though it was spring or approaching spring and approaching Easter, you know, we always have kind of this time of centering, connecting, sharing something. And I was asking for signs of hope. And there were very few last year. Actually, collectively, we kind of shared a blah. As this time, as we gathered, the question that our chaplain brought for us to consider and to share was where do you see God working or resonating in your life? Answers included sharing about a Lenten practice of taking off masks to be more authentic with people. Or choosing to find a moment every day to be outside and breathe. Or sharing of a Lenten mission project to offer meals to people in need. Or celebrating new life in a church family. Celebrating a new puppy for one person. Sharing the success of a child. Acknowledging the intention to engage in anti-racism work in one congregation. None of these sharings were crazy or profound, but they were real and true and just as sacred as any prayer. It can be slippery this opening ourselves to God and the world. Like a snake sliding away, Mary Oliver might say, or a fish jumping out of the water and disappearing just as quickly. But every chance we open our arms wide, God comes closer and we realize that we become the temple. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.